Hey friends, Tim here. Before we start the episode, we wanted to just take a moment as we have the past couple of weeks and say how much we appreciate everything that you all are doing to lead your congregations. This is, of course, a really challenging season of ministry, and we're just so grateful for the work of God that you all are doing. And so we want to start with just a, a moment to pause and say a prayer for you. We don't normally read the lectionary texts for these mini-episodes, but I thought it would be fitting to read part of Psalm 16 for us now, not as a study guide, but just as a prayer. Uh, so I'll be reading from the JPS version, changing it to make it a collective prayer, just the first couple verses and then 8 through 11. Protect us, O God, for we seek refuge in you. We say to the Lord, you are our Lord, our benefactor. There is none above you. We are ever mindful of the Lord's presence. God is at our right hand. We shall never be shaken. So our hearts rejoice. Our whole being exults and our bodies rest secure. For you will not abandon us to Sheol or let your faithful ones see the pit. You will teach us the path of life. In your presence is perfect joy. The lights are ever in your right hand. Amen. Blessings to you all. Here's our episode. Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all other Bible dorks. And if that means you, then welcome home. You're among good people. I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm the other dork, Tim McMinch. <laughs> welcome, friends. Uh, this week, we're looking at the psalm in the Revised Common Lectionary. If you're following the RCL, you might have noticed that during this season, the first readings come not from the Hebrew Bible, but from Acts. And so we're going to supplement that wonderful New Testament book with some tips for preaching through the Psalms if you'd like to do something a bit different this season. So that means that uh, we're up this week with Psalm 16. So Rachel, you've done some preparation on this and you're gonna give us some preaching tips. I just read through it again, Psalm 16, and I think this is going to be a really short episode because there's really not a whole lot to say on this. I mean, it's one of those psalms that just sort of says uh, everything's great, God is great, and um, let's move on with life. Yeah. So what 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 would you have to tell us about this? That was totally my impression when I read it for the or reread it for the first time again too. Is it was kind of like, dang, how are we going to preach on this? Because it's basically like. God is on my side, and because God is on my side, everything is great. And that's like, okay, that's great for you. It might not be true for me, and, and how do you make a sermon out of that? So I started reading a little bit deeper and looking at the Hebrew, and then I got excited because there is a lot of body imagery in this psalm. And if there's one thing any of our listeners know by this point, it's that I love it <laughs> when body imagery gets involved in a biblical text. Okay, so I, I didn't I didn't catch that when I was reading through it. What what are you looking at there that jumps out at you as interesting body imagery? So when you look at it's really concentrated in verses seven, eight, and nine. So in seven, um, if you're looking at the JPS version, it says, I bless the Lord who has guided me. My conscience admonishes me at night. Now, fair warning, dear listeners, there is no Hebrew word for conscience. The word that's there is chiliotai, which means my kidneys. 
kidneys is a rare word in the Hebrew Bible. Um, so before I get talking about kidneys, I just want to say a little bit about internal body organs. Tim, finish this sentence. I think with my... Mind, brain, yeah. if I'm going to use a body. Yeah. Or, yeah. I feel with my... Heart, of mm -hmm. course. And if you're making like a split-second decision, what do you use to make that decision? Your... Gut. Absolutely. So we are no different than ancient Hebrews in that when we think about those kind of like internal body organs, they're really important. They do a lot of stuff. They carry a lot of meaning for us. And one of those for the ancient Hebrews was kidneys. Now, kidneys is not a very common word in the Hebrew Bible. There are, um, there's a bunch of references to it in like Leviticus, but those are animal kidneys and those have to do with sacrificial rituals. Mm. There's only 13 references to humans' kidneys and five of those are concentrated in the Psalms. And one of them is in the Psalm for today. So verse seven. Um, but what's funny is when you look at translations of this verse, you will very rarely see my kidneys instruct me. Um, different translations say, my heart instructs me, my conscience, my mind, my thoughts, my reins, which is a really funny word for kidneys that nobody uses anymore. <laughs> right. Renal. Exactly. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's got that Latin stuff that, you know, makes sense if you know Latin. So for a long time, it was really popular in these verses, these 13 verses where kidneys show up to translate them as heart. So my heart instructs me, or in the middle of the night, I wrestle with my heart. But I've argued recently that that's not accurate. Because when we talk about heart in English, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you, Tim? Emotion, love. Yeah, we see it as the seat of emotions. That's not what's going on in the Bible when kidneys are being talked about. Um, when you look at the Psalms where kidneys shows up, where that word shows up, these are not psalms that are addressing emotion. These are psalms that are concerned with action, uh, really mm. with moral action. Is the person doing stuff that God would consider good and righteous? Are they walking the correct path? So what, what do the kidneys do then? Yeah, so I argue that it's, um, it's better translated as conscience, that this isn't the place of thinking or meditation. This, this isn't the place of feeling. It's the place to go when you're trying to get to do some moral action, or as we might say in English, to do a gut check. I like that. If you're doing a gut check, that typically means that you're, you're faced with a decision or there's something going on in your life that is difficult to go through, that you're needing to really make a good, good decision about. And there's this word in the next verse, which is a really important word in the Psalms. It's moat. It means something like totter, shake, slip, be overthrown. So after mm -hmm. the, the kidneys are teaching at night in the next verse, it says, I am ever mindful of the Lord's presence. He is at my right hand. I shall never be moat. I shall never be tottered, shaken, slipped, moved, be overthrown. It's a word I ran across a ton when I was doing my research into lave, which is the Hebrew word for heart. Uh, in the Psalms, having a lave, which is moat, which is shaken, is a bad thing. It means right. something like you're inconstant, inconsistent, unreliable, can't be trusted. And what you want is a heart which is nachon, which is like established or prepared or betach, which means trusting. 
So you can see that like many psalms of praise, this one kind of sounds boring on the surface until you really start listening deeply to it. And I'm not even actually talking about body imagery in the Hebrew necessarily there. I'm just talking about paying attention to the psalm. Um, it, it starts out, that first verse, very clearly in the need of help. But then it switches tone in verse 3 to something that sounds a lot more like pietistic or self-righteous praise. I delight in the holy ones of the land. Those who waste their time on idols are fools, and I am staying away from them. It is only God who instructs me. And the person that I get an image of there is, you know how, Tim, it's like when you want your kids to surround themselves with good friends who are good people, but you uh -huh. also don't want them to turn into self-righteous little brats. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's kind of the image that I get here. Um, but only, only if we lose sight of what their context actually is. Verse 1 tells us that their context is one where they don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Verse 4 tells us that they are surrounded by people who are trying to pull them away from God or perhaps are participating in something even more sinister. Uh, the drink offerings of blood could be literal or it could also be the way we talk about blood diamonds or blood money here today. People who are doing bad things and taking advantage of other people. And then verse 7 tells us that this psalmist is awake at night praying waiting for divine inspiration, searching their own kidneys, their own guts and conscience. And verse 8 tells us that this is someone who feels like the ground is moving underneath their feet, and it is only their grasp on the divine hand that is keeping them from moting, that's keeping them from slipping. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm starting to find more places of connection here. <laughs> like, the, the sort of surface reading of this feels like, wow, this person's just way overconfident and like, how do I connect to this? But now that, now that you're taking us through a closer reading of it, the, the confidence here is sometimes expressions of confidence can show us where a person's anxieties are right. and all the places where they are expressing such trust and confidence are exactly the places where they are most vulnerable and prone to, you know, being shaken. So, and, and I can identify with that a lot better. Yeah. Of that, that anxiety and uh, vulnerability and needing access to God in those kinds of moments. I could use a psalm like this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the way I kind of picture this psalm after reading through it a few times is, is that moment of pacing outside the hospital room where you're whispering yourself something like the serenity prayer. Not because you particularly feel serene, but because clinging to those words keeps your hope from moat, from slipping. Lord, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage mm -hmm. to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And then, you know, kind of the correlation to that would be Psalm 16, verse 9. So my heart rejoices, my whole being exults, my body rests secure. It's almost like you say these things to invite them into yourself, to make them happen in yourself at a point in time where you're really struggling to actually have them. Yeah, that, that really makes a lot of sense. I feel like I'm getting to understand the psalm quite a bit better. Um, if you were going to craft that into a sermon, how would you maybe approach 
getting to that in a short sermon? Yeah, I think I would do something a little bit different. I, If I were preaching this psalm, I would print up a bunch of copies of this little psalm and then just hand them out to your congregation at the beginning of the sermon and have them read through it. Have them take notes on the paper somewhere about what their first impression of it is and then start to unpack it for them. Start to maybe share times in your life or times in the lives of people you know that connect with this psalm at different verses where you feel like you need the thing that the psalmist is proclaiming. Uh, And then at the end of the, the sermon, I would invite them to tape it up somewhere this week. My favorite place is to encourage people to tape it to their bathroom mirror. So when they're brushing their teeth, you know, you're always seeing they're kind of looking at Facebook or staring at yourself and wishing you didn't have to stare at yourself or your refrigerator, uh, somewhere where you're going to see it and you can read it to your to yourself. Um, invite them to use this psalm as an encouragement for those times when the world feels like it is moat, where it is slipping away, uh, so that by, by living in this psalm, they can feel, even in the midst of those moments, being they can feel themselves being held strongly in the palm of God's hand. And as the the psalm finishes, um, they can more easily see the path of life that is laid out before them. Wonderful. Thanks for helping us to see more clearly how uh, this little psalm connects so profoundly with our actual experience. Absolutely. It's, it, it, makes it, it makes it a much more human psalm mm-hmm. in, in finding those places of connection. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, friends, that brings us to the end of another episode. Here comes the perfunctory uh, invitation to check out the rest of what we have going on over at firstreadingpodcast.com and to subscribe to the podcast so you get episodes the moment they drop. (laughs) Uh, We're looking forward to being with you next time. And until then, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Happy preaching. Happy preaching.